Um, all right, so that was a lengthy story. Anybody heard this story before? Second Chronicles 18. It's also in First Kings, I don't know, like 20 or 22. Um, anybody uh, familiar with that story? These are uh, frosted sugar cookies, by the way. Noah's mouth is dropping open. Sorry, buddy. I should have warned you that that was going to happen. So, so here's the deal. Um, long story, Second Chronicles uh, chapter 18, and we get this really cool vision. Uh, we also get con- some confusing things about these different prophets that are speaking and talking to the king and, and what in the world is going on. So what we're going to do is uh, kind of look at the three main characters that we see here. We see Ahab, king of the northern people of God. Uh, we see Micaiah, the prophet of Yahweh. Let me just kind of throw out that Hebrew word, and I'll explain that later. Um, and then we get Jehoshaphat, jumping Jehoshaphat. Anybody thinking that as you were? Of course you were, right? Jumping Je- uh, the king of, uh, the, uh, the, of the southern people of God. And in some ways, um, all three of these guys are doing the same thing, uh, but they're, they're doing it in slightly different ways. So what they're doing is they're staring at something, They're staring intently at something, but they're all staring at different things. Uh, For instance, Ahab is over here doing this. If you can't see me, I'm looking at it like this. Right? This is what Ahab is doing. He is looking at this worldly thing, and what we see in 2 Chronicles 18 is he's, he's making a worldly plan to get this worldly thing that he desires this is something that he doesn't yet have in his possession, but he desperately wants it. Anybody ever have something like that? That you don't have something and you see it, and it begins to consume your thoughts. It begins to consume your attention. Um, all of your energy gets funneled and focused on how can I get that? Um, in uh, the case of, <clears throat> of Ahab, uh, king of the northern people of God, um, it's not frosted sugar cookies, but it's the city uh, named Ramoth-Gilead. Uh, just a little bit of, of history there. The reason that he wants Ramoth-Gilead is, is probably a few different reasons. Um, first of all, it's along a major trade route. Um, it's along a major trade route. So in biblical times, if something is on a trade route, that's a huge, huge deal, right? Because uh, that city has instant access to wealth. If you are a king, you probably want to be more wealthy, not less wealthy. And so if you can um, access a city that has access to instant wealth, boy, that's a bonus to you and to your kingdom. So he wants Ramoth Gilead for that reason. He also wants it because it is in a strategic military position. And so um, this would be a great place to house an army. And um, if you're housing an army there, you might be able to defend yourself um, against an attack, uh, or you might be able to launch an attack from that location. On the other hand, the reason, probably the biggest reason that he wants it is because that had been promised to him, but not yet given. So um, we have to do a little bit of historical work to make this story really kind of come alive and fully understand it. 1 Kings chapter 20, um, there's a king of of, of Syria and Ahab, they go into battle against one another. And um, what happens is the king of Syria attacks and attacks and attacks, and guess what? Ahab wins and he wins and he wins. Uh, That was by the design and the plan of God. Uh, God wanted Ahab to win. He actually wanted the king of Syria because the king of Syria is not a good man. Uh, He wants the king of Syria taken out. He actually tells Ahab, hey, don't let the king of Syria live. 
Well, after the victory, the king of Syria pleads for mercy, and he says, oh, will you please take it easy on me? Will you please be lenient with me? Will you let me live, and I'll give you Ramoth Gilead, frosted sugar cookies. And, um, and at this point in the story, we learn that um, Ahab let the king of Syria live, but he was never actually given Ramoth Gilead. And so this is something that he really wants. It's something that he has been promised to receive, but he still doesn't have in his possession yet. And so he is intently looking at it, trying to figure out how can I get those frosted sugar cookies? How can I get Ramoth Gilead? And we see in Second Chronicles 18, he's forming this plan, right, this worldly plan um, to get what he wants, to get the worldly thing that he wants. And, and really, um, the plan starts right away in chapter 18, verse 1. He forms a, a military alliance with King Jehoshaphat, right? So um, this is not a reason to get married, right? But in Old Testament times, uh, uh, kings that want to form a political alliance with another nation would say, hey, you marry my daughter, right? And this is what happened. And, and so there's an alliance formed between the, the northern kingdom of God and the southern kingdom of God. Uh, there's this, this military political alliance that's formed. Ahab is basically saying, oh, I'll be stronger if I have somebody covering my back. Um, we also see in chapter uh, 18, verse 2, that, that Ahab is trying to bribe Jehoshaphat. So um, Jehoshaphat's already a wealthy man. We learned that in 18, verse 1. And then uh, 18, verse 2, it says that, that, um, that Ahab, uh, let's see, killed an abundance of sheep and oxen for Jehoshaphat in honor of Jehoshaphat, right? He is trying to bribe Jehoshaphat to do what he wants done. He's trying to bribe or persuade Jehoshaphat, hey, let's go and be bullies and take this thing that I want. Let's get it. We can do it together. Um, and, um, and, and then we see him just a little bit later. He asks, sort of. He asked 400 prophets of Elohim, and I'll explain that in just a second. But, but this is interesting. Um, Jehoshaphat says, hey, uh, that's great. I'll, I'll go with you, and we'll attack Ramoth Gilead, and we'll, we'll take it. That's cool. But let's just ask um, a, a prophet of Yahweh if that's a good idea. Now, that's to Jehoshaphat's credit. He says, hey, I want to hear from the one true God. Is this God's plan? But it's an important distinction because Jehoshaphat says, hey, inquire first of the word of the Lord, right? So anytime that you see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D in Scripture, that's the word Yahweh. Um, so just stick with me here. This is going to make sense. And you're going to say, oh, that really makes sense now, okay? Just stick with me here. So um, inquire first of the word of the Lord. That's what Jehoshaphat says. Um, Ahab gathers together 400 prophets, quote-unquote, and guess whose name they never mention as they begin to talk about what Ahab should do? They never use the name Yahweh. They use the name Elohim, or God. Sometimes in Scripture, the one true God that we worship, God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, is, uh, you know, that's the God that we worship, that's the God that we state in the creed. Sometimes that God is referred to as what? Elohim. Elohim is also a very general, broad word for God, and so sometimes false gods are called Elohim. Um, idols are sometimes called Elohim. 
And so in this particular story, um, Ahab gathers together 400 prophets, and they say, oh, go up for Elohim, God, will give you the city. What's just happened? Ahab gathered together a bunch of yes men that would tell him, yeah, you're good to go. Go ahead and take the city. It's a very common thing in history. People, uh, a king would gather uh, around him wise, discerning, spiritual men, and, and he would pay them. He, he employs them to give him wise counsel, wise advice. That's what these 400 prophets are. He's gathered together 400 prophets that he employs that look at him favorably, that love his kingdom, and he says, hey, should we go to Ramath Gilead? Should we go and take those frosted sugar cookies? And the 400 prophets of Elohim say, yeah, let's do it. If we go just a little bit further in the story here, uh, what we see is that Ahab um, not only asks the prophets of Elohim, but he actually doesn't care what Yahweh wants. It's very interesting, right? Um, this is uh, going to be found in verse 7, but, but notice what my back is turned towards. Do you see what's right behind me? See, um, he's focused on his kingdom and what he wants, and he doesn't care what the kingdom of God wants. He doesn't really care what Yahweh wants. Um, Jehoshaphat says, hey, that's real nice. You gathered 400 people, and, um, and, uh, and they all said, hey, you should go up. But I want to hear from a prophet of Yahweh, the one true God. Yahweh, by the way, is the name that God gave himself to Moses in the book of Exodus. Okay, so, so I want to hear from a prophet of Yahweh. Here's what Ahab says, verse 7. There is yet one man by whom we may inquire of Yahweh, his name is Micaiah, the son of Imlah, but I hate him, for he never prophesies good concerning me, but always evil. Did you see what just happened? So, so Ahab says, uh, I'm not going to ask that one prophet because he's going to tell me not to go and not to take the sugar cookies, and I got a sweet tooth, right? And, and so, so he says, fine, I'll go and get him. Ahab is intensely focused on a worldly thing, and he's making a worldly plan to get the worldly thing that he wants but doesn't yet have. Micaiah is almost the exact opposite. <laughs> Micaiah is like the contrast to Ahab because he is over here and he's looking at this. He is just intensely staring at the kingdom of God, trying to focus on what God wants, and what God wants, Micaiah wants. To, a, to an extreme degree, to the point, and this is going to make sense, right, to the point where he lies. Did you catch that? He actually lies to the king of Ahab. So it's a very interesting moment in this story. Micaiah, by the way, is never mentioned anywhere except for this one story. It's like this one claim to fame, and he gets one of these incredible visions of Yahweh, the Lord, seated on the throne. So just see this, right? Um, here, here's what happens. Um, uh, Jehoshaphat says, hey, let's inquire of Yahweh, the Lord. And uh, he gathers together the 400 prophets. And uh, the 400 prophets of Elohim say, yes, go up and take the city. It's going to be good. You're going to be victorious. And Jehoshaphat doesn't settle for that. He says, hey, can we just hear from one prophet of Yahweh, the one true God? And, uh, and, and, and so then they go and they get Micaiah because apparently Micaiah is the only um, known, the only accessible prophet of Yahweh. 
And so they go and they get Micaiah, and then, and then in verse 12, he's actually coached what he's supposed to say. Here's, here's what it says. Um, the messenger who went to summon Micaiah said to him, Behold, the words of the prophets with one accord are favorable to the king. Let your word be like the word of one of them and speak favorably. So, um, in other words, hey, 400 people, 400 wise um, spiritual people have said, you should go up and take the city. Micaiah, it'd be really nice if you would just say the same thing, right? That's the sense of what he's being coached to say. And, um, and, and it's interesting because Micaiah actually does. Did you catch that in the very next verse? So this is super surprising, right? He says, go up and take the city. We wouldn't expect that from Micaiah because Micaiah doesn't ever say anything favorable to Ahab. Uh, Ahab's plans are never the plans of God. And so this is a shocking moment that we'll understand in just a moment. Ahab doesn't accept the word of Micaiah. And he says, hey, tell me the truth. And this is what Micaiah says. Uh, verse 16, he says this, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, these have no master. Let each return to his home in peace. So what he's saying there is, hey, you're going to go into battle, Ahab, and you are going to be killed, and all of your soldiers are going to be left without a commander. That's what he just said. Here's the next thing that he says. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, who will entice Ahab, the king of Israel, that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one said one thing and another said another. Then a spirit came and stood before the Lord saying, I will entice him. And the Lord said to him, by what means? And he said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And he said, you are to entice him, and you shall succeed. Go out and do so. Now, therefore, behold, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of these, your prophets. The Lord has declared disaster concerning you. So, so here's what just happened, right? Um, Micaiah is ushered into the presence of, uh, into the royal court. And, and there, are two, um, there are two royal wealthy kings sitting in front of him. But guess what? He doesn't see two royal wealthy kings. What he sees is this. He's given this vision, and, and he's entirely focused on the kingdom of God. He is focused not on the two um, royal wealthy kings, but on the king, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And, and he doesn't see the host of heaven. Uh, sorry, he doesn't see the, the 400 prophets. What he sees is the host of heaven gathered around the throne. Whatever that means, uh, it's likely uh, a reference to like angels and the saints of God all gathered together around the throne. But, but he sees not the 400 prophets, he sees the host of heaven gathered around the very throne of God. So he is intensely focused on this, on the kingdom of God and on what he sees here. And so what Micaiah wants is what God wants. And what does God want? <laughs> hold on, right, just grab onto your chair. God wants to deceive Ahab. He wants to deceive Ahab, which is why Micaiah originally lied, because he wants what God wants, and he's doing whatever God wants to do. Here's why um, God wants to deceive Ahab, um, because Ahab has his back turned towards what? Towards Yahweh, towards the one true God. 
Um, in Second Chronicles chapter 19, the very next chapter, we, we, we are told that Ahab is known as being an evil man who hates the Lord. This is why Yahweh wants to deceive Ahab. Um, we already referenced 1 Kings chapter 20, how God had told him, hey, I want you to, to eliminate the king of Syria. Don't let him live anymore. And instead, he let him live in exchange for Ramoth Gilead. And so Yahweh says, hey, you didn't take his life, and so now your life will be forfeit. Ahab is, uh, is being deceived by this spirit that uh, God either sends or gives permission uh, to go and deceive the 400 prophets that are supposed to be giving him counsel and wisdom and guidance. And so Micaiah uh, originally lies and then reveals what he's looking at and what he sees. So let me just kind of pause here ever so briefly because we might mistake this for a second and say, oh, how could God do that? This is a particular moment, and this is a judgment that God is handing out to, on a particular person. So don't walk out of here today and say, oh, I think God is deceiving me. And don't walk out of here today and tell somebody else, hey, I think God's deceiving you. That, those would be mistakes, and that, that would not be a good way to interpret these uh, verses here. Um, what we're trying to look at is how, um, how, is how God has given Micaiah a vision. And just see this, God in his grace is actually revealing that secret plan to Ahab and to Jehoshaphat. God could have kept it secret and not revealed it at all through Micaiah or in any way. But instead, God in his grace is giving Ahab one more chance to repent, uh, to, to turn away from what he wants and turn instead towards what God wants. But of course, Ahab doesn't repent and he doesn't turn he stays focused on what he wants, and he stays focused on his worldly plan to get the worldly thing that he desires. So Micaiah wants what God wants, and he, he gets it by lying, which is just aligning himself with the plan and the will of God, and by eventually revealing that secret plan of God. Now, the last character is, um, is really interesting, and, and we're going to end by thinking about Jehoshaphat. Because I think Jehoshaphat is probably where most of us live. This is really interesting, right? Because um, I think some of us probably have, if we're honest, we probably have Ahab type of moments where we just get consumed by our worldly things and we're making worldly plans to get worldly things that we want. And I think that we probably also have some moments like Micaiah where we're just feeling super connected to God the Father Almighty and we're super connected to Jesus and we're just looking at the kingdom of God, desiring what God wants for ourselves and for this world. But if I had to guess and if I'm just being honest with you about my life, I'm kind of like a Jehoshaphat because Jehoshaphat is doing this. He's probably even doing this. see what I'm doing? This is where Jehoshaphat lives, and I think this is probably honestly like where we live moment by moment, day by day, hour by hour, <laughs> moving back and forth, not quite sure, not fully convinced, not fully committed. So when the story opens, just to kind of play this out, 18 verse 1, um, Jehoshaphat is over here um, looking at worldly things. In 18 verse 1, he's formed this, this, this alliance with Ahab, the king of the north. 
Um, that, that's not expressly forbidden. That's not ex exactly wrong. But in the context of Second Chronicles 18, we kind of get the feeling that this is not what he should be doing, that he shouldn't be forming an alliance with Ahab. We already know that Ahab is evil and he hates the Lord, right? Um, and, uh, and what Ahab is doing, or what Jehoshaphat is doing is he's saying, I'm not enough. And I'm not sure that God's going to come through to help me. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to arrange for things and work it out on my own. I'm going to form this alliance, this, this political alliance with Ahab in hopes of being stronger and solidifying my defenses. So at, as the story opens, Jehoshaphat is over here with Ahab looking at worldly things, worldly ways of doing things. Uh, but then, as we've already mentioned, um, Ahab kind of or Jehoshaphat kind of shifts and he moves over here towards the kingdom of God. And he has this great moment where he says, inquire first of the word of the Lord. So um, Jehoshaphat, uh, man, these guys are uh, mixing these names up. Ahab has persuaded him, he's bribed him, and Jehoshaphat has said, yeah, I'll go up with you, that's cool. But first, let's ask God if that's actually God's plan. He, he's firmly over here just wanting to pay attention to what God wants. <sighs> I can't help but think, though, as the 400 prophets of Elohim said, hey, yeah, that's a good idea. You should go up, that they just kind of draw his heart and his mind back over this way. If you've got 400 people all telling you, yeah, you should go and do that. You should just take those sugar cookies. Boy, it just kind of sucks you right in, especially when you want that thing. <laughs> And so uh, Ahab, uh, Jehoshaphat is drawn back over here to the worldly thing and the worldly plans. And then he kind of runs back over here and he says, no, 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 that's great, but can we just hear from one prophet of Yahweh, just one prophet of Yahweh, to actually know what God's plan and God's desire is. And then, just fascinating, did, did you catch what happens? Verse 28 um, just the, the first couple of words there. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, they went up to Ramoth-Gilead. Isn't that fascinating? Um, they've already heard from the 400 prophets. They've already heard from Micaiah. Micaiah revealed, hey, I saw the Lord seated on the throne, and he sent this deceptive spirit to trick you, Ahab, and to trick you, Jehoshaphat, to go up against Ramoth-Gilead so that Ahab would be killed. And still, they what? They go up. They just neglect the plan of God. They say, I don't want what God wants. I want what I want, when I want, how I want it. And they go up and they try to take Ramoth Gilead. And this last moment here is so fascinating because, because the battle begins and, and Ahab says, hey, I'm going to disguise myself and try to get around the plan of God and, and, uh, and I'm going to look just like a normal soldier. Jehoshaphat, I want you to stay in your royal robes. And Jehoshaphat just kind of like has this, uh, okay moment. Like, I don't know why he actually agrees to that plan, but he does. And, um, and then the battle begins, and all, all the attention and all the energy and all the fighting is funneled towards this one man named Jehoshaphat, who's stuck in the middle, trying to figure out, am I going to pay attention to the world or am I going to pay attention to the king of kings? Am I going to pay attention to this? Or am I going to pay attention to Yahweh? 
And as the battle is all directed towards Jehoshaphat, it says that Jehoshaphat cries out. It's a terribly interesting moment because it doesn't say that he cries out to Yahweh. It doesn't even say that he cries out for help. It just says that he cries out. We have to assume that he's probably crying out towards Yahweh and that he's probably crying out for help. But it just says, in general, he cries out. And what does God do? God shows grace. And God rescues Jehoshaphat. And, and, and he takes the pressure of the enemy away from him and towards somewhere else. It's just this incredibly gracious moment for this man that's stuck in the middle, not quite sure where he wants to look and what his uh, desire is. And God says, I'm going to rescue you, I'm going to save you, and you're going to live. So, so look, I, I hope that today is an opportunity for you to say, where am I looking? And I hope it's an opportunity for you to see the grace of our God. Because if you're over here, like Ahab, you've probably got a God who is tapping you on the shoulder, just saying, hey, will you at least look over your shoulder at me and consider my plan for your life? That's what God's doing in this story. And if you're like Jehoshaphat and you're kind of going back and forth and, and on a regular minute-by-minute, hour-by-hour basis, you're not quite sure what you want or not fully committed to the plan and the will of God, you've got a God who is so gracious. And when you cry out, he's there and he saves, and he rescues. And, and if you happen to be over here this morning and you're like Micaiah, and you're just zoomed in on the plan and the will of God, boy, just celebrate that. And, and just, just love being here in the presence of God the Father Almighty, who is seated on the throne with the heavenly host showing you who he is and what he does. That's my hope for us today. Let's pray. Um, Heavenly Father, we thank you for these, uh, these moments where people get to see you and, and then just kind of line up behind you. Um, we're sorry for the moments that we um, aren't looking at you. Uh, we're sorry for the moments when we don't line up uh, behind you and your plan and your will. Would you please forgive us and have mercy on us? Would you please continue to show us grace and, uh, and show us mercy so that we can turn back towards you, so we can repent and, um, and, and line up our hearts and our minds and our plans with your heart and your mind and your plans. Thank you for showing grace to this man named Ahab who really didn't deserve it. Uh, thanks for showing grace to Jehoshaphat. And thanks for showing grace to us. Would you just continue to show us who you are and what you desire in this world today, in our lives today? In the name of Jesus, all God's people said, amen.